Well, I'm very excited about this new series that we are starting today, 30-Day Marriage Makeover. And for the next five Sundays, we are going to be going to God's Word and looking at what God says about how we can do marriage uh, His way. And I'm just praying that God's going to do some amazing things, that He's going to turn some of your marriages around, that He is going to give some of your children new hope that their dads and their moms are going to start actually getting along that God is even going to strengthen some marriages that are already good marriages. And, you know, I don't know what God is going to do, but I do know this. God wants to show his grace. God wants to show his power in your marriage. And uh, as we get started, I want to address a couple of things up front because I am sure there are some of you here and you are single and maybe right now you're thinking, okay, time for me to leave. I'll see you in a month because I don't really need this. And I just hope that if that's what you're thinking, you won't do this. And I have three reasons. First, you know married people who need this, and maybe God wants you to help them. Second, you might get married someday, and you might need this. And third, even if you don't, what we will talk about in this series applies really to every single relationship in your life. We all have relationships. And so I hope you will keep that in mind. And then there are some of you who are married and you're thinking, my marriage is okay. Uh, I don't need no marriage makeover. What are you implying, Pastor Mike? Well, uh, simply this, in physical health, it's good to get an annual checkup, right? Um, In your work, you get performance reviews periodically, right? And even in government, you know, we get a State of the Union message you know, every year, so why not look at the state of your union? Why not take some time to think about where you are? We're going to start today by getting back to God's design. Because to make something work, you need to know how it was designed. And today we're going to look at three things that I think will help us understand how God has designed marriage to work. You can see this in your notes. We're going to look at the problem We're going to look at the picture, and we're going to look at the process. Let's start with the problem. The problem, why most marriages don't work. Why most marriages don't work. Now, I think most of us at some time in the last decade or so have watched one of these makeover shows, right? I mean, there there are all kinds of, of shows about making things over, and they always begin by showing you what's wrong. Uh, they, they, they show you what's wrong with the house or what's wrong with the wardrobe or what's wrong with the makeup. Whatever they're going to make over, they start with what's wrong. And so before you can work on improving your marriage, you need to know what causes marriages to get off track. You need to know what can cause a marriage even eventually to crash and burn. And you know, as I've talked to couples over the last 30 years, I've heard all kinds of different scenarios where problems have arisen. Uh, But when I talk to people about their marital troubles, it always seems to boil down to a few things. I'm going to share four of those uh, big issues with you. Here's the first one. Go ahead and write this down. Unrealistic expectations. Uh, There is no area of life where we have more unrealistic expectations than marriage. Would you agree? And, And it just starts with dating. I mean, dating sets us up. Because in dating, men say things like, Would you like to go to the opera tonight? (laughs) Something no man would ever say unless he was dating. I mean, you know, you're 
you're just on your best behavior when you're dating. And then, and then next comes the wedding. And question, have you ever looked at the bride magazines that are out there? I mean, sometimes I look at those and I think they should have a label, you know, warning science fiction inside because <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. And, and by the way, if you're here and you're single and you're a guy, you need to know something about these magazines. What these magazines are showing you is truth in one sense because they are showing you this. They are showing you that the star of the show is the bride and the co-star of the show is the mother of the bride. <laughs> and the supporting cast of the show is the bridesmaids. It doesn't really even matter if you're there, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, just getting ready for the wedding, they always take the bride away for three or four days. They wax her and shellac her and lacquer her and... <laughs> And she walks down the aisle on the marriage day, and everyone in the room knows she will never look that good again in her whole life, ever. And then you go away for a honeymoon, because, you know, the rest of your life is going to be like being at Club Med in Tahiti. I mean, just unrealistic expectations from the get-go. And, you know, you fast forward six months into marriage, and you're sitting at the breakfast table, and you're looking across and she has no makeup and she's looking across, you know, and your eyes are bloodshot and stubbly beard and you both have morning breath and body odor and other toxic gases and, <laughs> and you're both asking, what happened? But here's the question I want to ask you, just you need to think about it. Have you brought unrealistic expectations into your marriage? And then are you willing to bring them to the surface and actually think about them? I would really like to encourage you, if you have the courage, to write down in your, your notes there one unrealistic expectation that you brought into your marriage. Now, some of you know this. I met my wife, Dana, at seminary. We were in graduate school together. We were studying you know, together for ministry. And so you know, my expectation when I married was that I would get married and it would be one long, quiet time with sex. It wasn't. It wasn't. Now, the truth is, every marriage is composed of two imperfect people, and imperfect people cannot have a perfect relationship. And so part of getting a marriage makeover is setting aside unrealistic expectations. And you may say, okay, that sounds like good psychology. Let me give you some good theology, okay? You need to know this. If you are holding on to unrealistic expectations, this means you are not believing the truth of the gospel. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Your mate is a sinner, so are you. It makes no sense and it violates what scripture teaches to have unrealistic expectations. And on top of that, it's just immature. And so part of this is growing up, getting realistic, realizing we all need grace. And so I just need to ask you, is there an unrealistic expectation that you have that's damaging your marriage? Number two, Unaccepted differences. Men and women are different. Can I get an amen here? But in marriage, we often don't accept those differences. You know, we've all heard the cliche that opposites attract. Well, see, after marriage, opposites attack. (laughs) And you often find that what used to fascinate you now frustrates you, right? See, God has wired all of us up just to naturally seek 
people who are different from us, who complement us. And so what we find in marriage, it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting. It, it always works this way. You know, people who are structured tend to seek out people who are spontaneous, people who are reserved or just drawn to outgoing people. And you could get on and on. Why? Because the differences fascinate us. They're interesting. And we go into marriage typically having no idea how profound those differences are. Before marriage, we usually overestimate what we have in common. We underestimate our differences. And and it's just in every area of our lives. I mean, we communicate differently, right? Uh, Men and women, we do chores and we care for the kids differently. I mean, women, you know this. Once in a while, you leave your husband home and you ask him to do some housework. And sometimes you've come home to something like this. (laughs) I mean, only a guy would think of this. It's efficient, right? Two things at once. Well, we need, we need to accept our differences, not resent our differences. Uh, one guy said, I knew I was marrying Mrs. Wright. I just didn't know that her first name was always. <laughs> Let me just add this. Don't just accept our differences. Learn to value the differences celebrate the differences, realize that God wants to use your spouse's differences in your life. I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but if you're married, God's number one tool for your sanctification is your spouse. God uses your spouse more than anything else in your life to help you grow up spiritually, to mature spiritually. And listen to this, it doesn't even matter if they're a believer or not. God still uses the differences to help you grow. Now, this is probably a new thought for some of us, so I want you to write down one way that your spouse is different and you just find it hard to accept. You need to get this to the surface and start thinking about it and start praying about it. And then third, unresolved issues. Now, this gets a little more serious because it could be finances or in-laws or kids or sex. And here's what you need to know about this. Our marriage doesn't create problems. Marriage reveals problems. And the worst unresolved issues aren't the ones created in your marriage. They're the ones you brought with you. See, when you got married, you weren't a blank slate. You brought into your marriage certain ways of thinking, certain ways of acting, and they they typically come from your family of origin. And you just think everything you do and the way you see the world is normal, but your spouse comes from another family and they did things differently. They thought differently and she thinks those things are normal. And so you both come into marriage thinking, this is the way, my way is the right way to do it. And we all bring stuff like that into our marriage. And on top of that, we, we bring baggage into marriage. You bring hurts and habits and hangups that come from your life choices Or maybe they come from your family of origin. And the truth is, the more pain you had growing up, the more baggage you will bring and the more problems you will have to resolve. So some of you, you brought anger from your past into your marriage. Some of you brought grudges and resentment against your parents into your marriage. And then you get married and you find sometimes that whenever your spouse even remotely reminds you about that thing you hated so much in your parents, controlling, domineering, anger, explosiveness, stuff like that, whatever it was, you just take all of that unresolved anger and then you turn it and you focus it on the person you love the most. And something small happens and there's this huge, enormous volcanic explosion and it's like, why? Because it's not that small thing. You're reacting to your past and the past may be a really big thing. Now, if you are doing that, two things I wanna say to you. One, 
it's not fair to your spouse. And two, you keep doing that, you are killing your marriage. So what do you need to do to resolve some issues, to get some closure on your past? Maybe I can ask it this way, who do you need to forgive? See, this is also a gospel issue. Maybe some of you, you need to have a frank talk with your parents. Maybe some of you, you need to honestly figure out what from your family that you need to hold on to and what you need to let go of. Maybe you need to seek counseling just to get wisdom on how you can work through your past. Maybe you just need to forgive someone and move on. Now, if you're single, let me say this. One of the best gifts that you can give any future marriage you hope to have is to resolve as many of your past issues now. Be working on them now as much as you can. And so once again, third area, can you write something down uh, that's an unresolved issue in your marriage? Maybe this is one of those things that you can think of it, but you don't want to write it down. You don't want to put it out there. It could be sex or finances. It could be the way you raise your children. It could be anything from your past. But what you need to, to see is you have to deal with this if you want to do a marriage makeover. Number four, unforgiven wounds. Unforgiven wounds. Let me ask you this question. What is the very worst sin in a marriage? Now, I know what you think it is, but I think the worst sin in a marriage is unforgiveness. You say, why? Because this is the one sin that holds every other sin captive. See, the truth is you will be hurt, and the truth is the person with the greatest potential to hurt you is always the person closest to you. In fact, sometimes the person closest to you hurts you on purpose. See, we are imperfect people. We are all sinners by nature and by practice. Again, this too, like all these areas, this is a gospel issue. This is a biblical issue. It's about our theology and understanding what the Bible teaches. We are sinners by nature and by practice, and that is why forgiveness must be a habit in your marriage. Is it a habit in your marriage to forgive your spouse? One of the greatest things about my wife, Dana, is that she forgives me all the time. Why? Because I'm a sinner, because I need it. I would uh, actually go so far as to say that the most important character trait for a successful marriage is the willingness to forgive. Some of you need to write that down and think about it. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4, 8. And whenever forgiveness is needed, you need to be ready to give it. And the ultimate reason for that is because God forgave you in Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave who? You. Some of you, some of you are saying, Mike, you know, you just have been describing my marriage. And I have to ask, is there any hope for us? And the answer is yes. Yes, there is. God specializes in marriage makeovers. And over the years here at Southwinds, I have seen so many couples who have allowed God to work in their marriage, who have allowed God to work in their hearts, experience radical change, restoration, unbelievable proportions, uh, just everything turned around in their lives. And he can do that for you as well. Now, in the weeks that are ahead in this series, we're going to dive deeper into some of the specific issues that 
that need to change. But before we move on uh, to the picture, the next part of this message, I need to tell you something that while all these things I've been describing are true, uh, these are primarily symptoms, not the cause. And the number one reason marriages fail is that most people have no idea what a marriage is supposed to be. If you don't know what it's supposed to be, then you don't know how it works. And if you don't know how it works, you're going to be frustrated. And our culture gives us all kinds of messages about marriage. Marriage is for this, marriage is for that. Our our families tell us marriage is for this or, or for that. Our friends tell us marriage is for this or marriage is for that. And we put all these things together, but often those messages we get are just wrong. Let's look at the picture because we need to know how God designed marriage. Now, I want to help you get the biblical picture of marriage by giving you another picture. Anybody recognize these. Legos. This comes fresh from one of my adult kids' bedrooms. They've left it at home. I think that he was playing with it at Christmas time. Still, very important part of our our family growing up. And, you know, there are lots of of pieces of Legos in here, and you can just pick any of them. It doesn't really matter, you know. And, uh, they're pretty easy to stick together. Even pastors can do it. But you know, if I were to say to you, I want you to make something from every single piece that's in this container, put it all together and make something beautiful, would you be able to do it? Now, I can guarantee you that every piece in here has a design where it works a design where it fits in. And there's a picture of that design. There's some Lego box, and inside the box it has directions, and you could use all of that. And you know, here's what's amazing to me. I have so many times watched four- and five-year-olds, can't even read, sit down, dump a box of Legos out on the floor, and they take some directions, uh, directions with pictures like this, and they can put it together. They can make something incredible because they can see the picture They can see the directions. They know what they're supposed to do. And here's what I'm suggesting. You're adults. We can pick a couple of random pieces and we can stick them together. That's not that hard. But making something beautiful, making something that really works, requires that we know what we're trying to build. And uh, this is how people do marriage. They think, my parents did this. My friends told me that. I heard this in the locker room one time. Not a good idea. Some people think, well, I read about this in a magazine, five ways to do marriage, or you you watched a movie and that taught you something, and you put it all together, and this is how it's supposed to work, and we try all these different pieces, and we put them together, but they don't really work. They don't really work. But if you have the design... If you have a picture, you know, if a Lego engineer, they have, there are such things, you know that, right? If a Lego engineer draws you a picture and you can, you can actually look at the box and you can actually read the directions that come and go page by page, you know, through all the 340 pages of this instruction manual, you can actually finally build something by following the directions, and then it comes out like this. Uh, 
I actually built this. I did it for you. I want you to know that I sacrificed a significant portion of my weekend so that you could see this. You could see this and you could get this idea. And um, here's what I'm suggesting to you. Most people do not have a, a clear picture of God's design for marriage. And, and so you don't know if you're making any progress or not. You don't know what you're supposed to do. You don't know what she's supposed to do. You don't know how and when to do it, and you don't know why the pieces don't fit, and you have conflict, and you try to figure out the conflict, and you can't communicate, and then when you can't communicate, you get really frustrated then, and you start drifting apart, and then someone at work or somewhere shows you a little attention, and you start loving someone, or you start loving something else, and sometimes marriages come apart. Now, what I want to do today is to kind of give you the the box top design that God gives us for marriage. And I want to show you some of these instructions that would help us understand how we can do marriage according to God's design. And we're going to be looking first at a macro design, kind of a 30,000 foot level, some big issues involved. And then we're going to go down to the micro design. We're going to look at some individual uh, things about each marriage, the picture God wants for every marriage. And after I give you the design, we're going to show you some ways briefly, briefly to put into practice these things. But today, my main goal is to enable you to leave this place in a little while and be able to say, so that's how God designed marriage. Because God did design it and God did make it good. See, this, this book here, this, this direction book is is designed so that even a child could do it. And it's designed so that the child would not be frustrated and that it would actually be fun. That was the point. God's design for marriage for you and for me is not meant to frustrate us. God's goal is that you would feel unbelievably loved and accepted and fulfilled, that, that we would know joy together and purpose together and passion together. See, God wants each of us to be able to say, you know what, the most amazing gift that I know in, my, in this world, other than life itself, other than salvation itself, is this amazing commitment and connection and covenant that I have with another person called marriage. So let's look at the big picture. What does the Bible say about marriage? And uh, I'm gonna give you four things very briefly. There's a lot more we could say, but we'll start here. Marriage, number one, is God's first institution. Marriage is the first, the most foundational of all institutions. Marriage predates everything. You just go back to the very beginning of time. You see, this is how the Bible describes the beginning of marriage at the very beginning of creation in the book of Genesis. This is from Genesis 2. It says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, this is an incredibly rich passage, so many profound truths. We're going to come back a little bit later in the message, but right now I just want to point out two things we see in this passage. The first thing the Bible says is we were made. God personally created us, which means that we are not accidents of random chance. God designed each and every one of us with great intentionality. 
But the Bible doesn't just say we were made. The Bible says we were made male and female. The Bible says when God created human beings, he intentionally created diversity. He purposefully made us a race of men and women. And the differences as we've already seen between men and women are very real. We, it's obvious about the biological differences, but we're different in so many ways, emotionally, psychologically, relationally. God created two sexes and creation has the differences between men and women woven into its very fabric. Now, why would God do that? Well, some people would say what God had in mind with this diversity is procreation, but God could have designed the procreative process any way he wanted. Why did he do it? Marriage, marriage. That's how it got started, and it was at the very start. God set apart, God ordained marriage before children, before family, before government, even before the church. He did it at the very onset of creation. It is the foundational institution for all that God has created. It was what everything else was meant to stand on. Everything in society revolves around this most basic relational unit of community, and because that marriage is the most important relationship that we have been given. It is the one with the most importance to protect and to cherish and to steward. So that's why the Bible says when people get married, it's not a legal contract. It's a sacred covenant. Two become one. And that word translated be united is a Hebrew word that literally means to be glued together because marriage needed that strong of a foundation. And marriage needed that strong of a foundation because everything else in civilization would be resting on it. It had to be the most solid institution of all. But there's another thing the Bible says. Second, the Bible tells us marriage is God's picture of the supernatural union between Jesus and the church. Let me briefly explain what this one's about because once you get it, it is amazing. You see, Christianity is all about Jesus, God in human form, coming down to planet Earth, laying down his life for the sins that you and I have committed, the sins that cause separation between us and God. See, God created us, but instead of returning the love he showed us, we went into rebellion mode, but God kept on loving us. And though our sins deserved his judgment, he kept reaching out for us with his love. In fact, God loved us so radically, he sent his own son to, to earth in the person of Jesus to not only lay down his life for ours, to pay for our sin, but then to call us back into relationship with him. And, and that's where the church comes in. In the New Testament, the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, and it literally means the called out ones. We've been called into a relationship with Christ, and then through that called into a relationship with each other. And what that tells us is this. Listen, it says everything that God is doing in the church comes down to this. The relationship between Christ and the church is what history is about. We were created to be in relationship with him. And he has done everything he can to reach out. And so that when this relationship between Christ and us is actually consummated, when some actually, someone actually enters that relationship, it is everything. It is everything God was about, everything Jesus came for, everything his death paid for. Now think about this. How does the Bible talk about that incredible moment? When someone comes to Christ, what could possibly be holy enough, sacred enough, honored enough to capture the love dynamic between Christ and those 
who come to know him as Savior and Lord. What could describe the love that he had, that love that would die for us and our love that would repent and return to him? Marriage. It is the only word strong enough, deep enough, compelling enough to capture that reality. This is how Paul, the apostle, talks about it in the New Testament book of Ephesians. He says, Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her and to present her to himself as a radiant church, we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul's quoting Genesis 2.24 here. And then he says that verse is about this. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, the most incredible, profound, spiritual dynamic in the cosmos has only one earthly mirror. There is only one relationship sacred and holy enough to even begin to reflect and capture what is happening between us and Christ, and that is marriage. Just as two become one in earthly marriage, we become one with Christ spiritually in a spiritual eternal marriage. And that leads to the third teaching I want you to see. Again, big picture, the macro design. A marriage is God's foundation of civilization. Now, I alluded to this earlier, but I just want to get real clear, explicit. Everything in society depends on marriages to function. No nation ever will survive the breakup of the family. And you know, I, could, I could show you study after study after study after study, all kinds of research, even coming from secular sources. But history demonstrates again and again that this is true, that the only way a nation or a culture survives is through strong families. When a nation's family units begin to break up, that nation will begin to break up and eventually will crash and will burn. Because the basic building block of every church, every community, every business, every nation is the family unit. Now, we don't have time today to explore this in detail, but you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, we just see it empirically demonstrated all around us all the time. We, we see it in poverty. We see it in education. We see it in crime. We see it in addictions. We see it in abuse and depression rates. We see it in physical health. Uh, generally speaking, people uh, are healthier when marriages are healthier. It's all because civilization is meant to rest on marriage. Now, finally, I want you to understand this. Marriage is God's way to make us holy. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before or not. Most of us actually think the purpose of marriage is to make us happy. That's what we assume marriage is about. But you need to know God is always far more interested in our holiness than in our happiness. And as a matter of fact, God would want you to know today that the best way for you to find happiness is to live a holy life. And there is nothing better than marriage to help us live holy lives. 
I want you just to think about it. I, I would encourage you to write down the passage, Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. You can read it later. Some of you really know this passage, but I'm going to allude to a couple of things. When Paul, in this passage, tells a husband that he is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, that he is to give his very life for her, that he is to love his wife as, as he loves himself, what can that be about but radical heart change, radical life change? And when Paul, in that same passage, calls a wife to submit to her husband in everything, when he says to a wife, you must respect your husband, how does that happen apart from the power of God? What can that be about but holiness of life? Our lives change into the image of Christ. See, again, we don't have time to develop this more today, but let me just say this. If you accept that God wants to use your marriage to make you holy, to make you more like his son, Jesus Christ, then you are on your way to a marriage makeover. And conversely, if you won't accept that, you're going to have trouble. Your marriage is not going to work because you are not living in accordance with God's design. So that's the Big picture, the macro design, the 30,000 foot level, this biblical worldview truth. Let me move to the micro design, to what God intends for each one of our individual marriages. And to help us with that, I want to show you a very good illustration of this. I heard it many years ago. I don't even really remember the ultimate source. You've already seen it in your notes. It's a triangle. You see that there? And uh, this triangle. Uh, is illustrating the marriage relationship. And since God created it, he's up at the top. You can write that down there. And then you can write a man down on the bottom left, woman on the bottom right. And God's design is given in Genesis 2, 18 to 25. We read part of this. I'm going to read through it again and make a couple comments to help you see. Beginning in verse 18, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And actually the Hebrew word uh, that's translated suitable for him is kind of like one Lego piece that just fits right into another Lego piece. Just fits together perfectly like they were designed for each other. Verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable corresponding part, no suitable helper was found. Verse 21, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. That means, among other things, the woman was a gift. Ladies, you can tell your husband right now, feel free, I am a gift. Verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And now verse 24, we've already read it. I remind you, Jesus quotes this verse twice. The apostle Paul uses this verse. This verse is the most foundational verse in all the Old Testament and the New Testament about the purpose and design of marriage. Here it is. 
for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And then verse 25, we see the result of a marriage that works. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And the nakedness described here is far beyond physical nakedness. They were naked emotionally. They were naked psychologically. They were naked spiritually. Now let me uh, keep verses 24 and 25 up on the screen, and I want you to write this down. The goal of marriage from our designer God is oneness. That's what your marriage is about. That's the design God has for you. God says, my goal for you in marriage is that you progressively become one. If you want to, on the side, you can write the word intimacy. That's a, that's a good uh, synonym for oneness. It's connectedness. It's this sense of being loved, being accepted, just as we are. Now, in our culture, when we say the word intimacy, our minds go to sex, physical intimacy. But God's design for oneness and intimacy is far uh, broader than that. And in fact, God's design is based on something else first. It's based first on spiritual oneness. So I want you to write that word spiritual at the bottom of your triangle. This is where intimacy, where oneness begins. God wants a man and a woman in marriage to be one spiritually. God's actual design for you in your marriage is that you and your wife would come together and actually talk to God together. God wants you to not only sing and worship together in church while you're sitting in chairs next to each other, he wants you to to do discipleship and to follow him together at home, to sometimes read the Bible together, to pray together, to talk about what God is doing in your lives together, to have this spiritual connection. And if you are neglecting that, if there is no spiritual relationship happening, you're not gonna know God's design because you're not doing God's design. You're gonna miss out on what God has for you. Second area of oneness is emotional. And if you wanna add to this, you can write on the side, best friends. The Bible talks about your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions. And God wants us to have a connectedness of personalities, of mind, this ability to share, to have an emotional connection where maybe there's even times you don't even have to talk. You're just with that person. This is about uh, taking walks together, drinking coffee together, working in the yard together, sitting down and writing the bills together, processing how to parent your kids together sharing together about the pressures that you each may be facing at work. It's about being your spouse's best friend. And then finally at the top, God wants men and women in marriage to know physical intimacy. And if you want to write a phrase down, you could write passionate lovers down here. Again, we've said this before. It needs to be said um, again. God created sex, and sex is a very important part of the marriage relationship. You know, in a, in a man's mind and endocrine system, when he is in a physical relationship with his wife, oxytocin is secreted to his brain. And this causes a man, especially men who find it difficult to share, to have this sense of bonding. And some of you ladies have experienced this and you sometimes have felt that you're not sure you get what's going on, but most men are more open to share about what's going on in their hearts, going on in their lives. They, they feel freedom and security when they know physical intimacy. This is just something that God has hardwired into us. Now, all these things, I mentioned the three things, what I want you to see about them is they're all interrelated. 
Uh, you could say a number of things about this. Praying together builds unbelievable bonds. In fact, the Bible's fascinated about this. The Bible makes this amazing correlation between spiritual intimacy and sexual intimacy. In fact, when the Bible talks about spiritual passion, it often uses metaphors and similes about the love of the bride and the bridegroom. Now, some of the guys have really perked up in the last 30 seconds. And this is the area that most of the men are thinking, if we could just fix this area of our life, everything else would be great. And the wives are hearing this right now, and I know you're rolling your eyes. And if you're rolling your eyes, I just want to challenge you, wives, to consider that your husband may truly have a need that you don't have, and it doesn't mean that something is wrong with him. It's part of God's design. A man feels profoundly loved in ways he can't understand and often he can't even articulate when he makes love with his wife. Again, these things are not either or. This is all both and. And women, you tend to be most interested. You got excited when we were talking about emotional intimacy, right? That's the area that you think, if we could just fix that, then our marriage would be great. And some of you are saying right now, my husband just won't open up. He won't talk to me. He shuts down. I don't know what's happening at work. And when I ask questions about some big decisions, what we should do, he gets all defensive and angry. When I say, you want to take a walk? He says, where? And I say, well, just to be together. And he says, well, we're not going anywhere. Why would we want to do that? <laughs> and guys, you are forgetting that a woman's heart gets filled up by connection in a way that may not make sense to you, but it doesn't mean there's something wrong with her. And so, you know, a woman's heart gets filled by, by talking and walking and by doing stuff in the yard, by, you know, walking around and looking at shops in a mall and, you know, and you're the guy and she says, can we go in here? And your mind says, no. <laughs> but your will says, I'm going to love her. So I will choose to nourish and cherish my relationships. And so you walk into these little shops with her and she picks something up and says, isn't this cute? And you go, yeah. <laughs> and she picks something else up and says, isn't this cute? And you go, yeah. And then she picks something else up and says, what do you think about this? And the truth is, you have absolutely no thoughts about this. <laughs> but you respond. And you're walking along and she grabs your hand and she looks you in the eye and she says, this is so special. And, and you're so confused. And... <laughs> But if you're a guy and you learn what it means to be truly godly, you might, as you walk along, stop at a bench in a park and say, you know, we're both concerned about our son and there's nobody really around right now. Why don't we sit down and pray for him for a few moments? And you know, guys, when your wife experiences emotional intimacy, when your wife sees you lead spiritually, you will be amazed and surprised that something happens in her heart where she doesn't now feel used at 10 p.m. when you look at her and you say, hey. <laughs> Sometimes it's amazing. The headache will go away and, you know, I mean, we might as well talk about how it works, right? But what I want you to understand is that um, 
so many of us are living in a world and this is what we've got. We've got all these different pieces, but we don't really know how to put them together. And some of the pieces we get from the world, they don't even belong. And we're trying to figure out what the other person wants and we're trying to give that to them. But so oftentimes our motives are mixed. We only are doing that sometimes because we're trying to get what we want and need to see God's design. Now, one of the things that's built into this design, you've probably heard this before too, is as you move up the triangle, each on your own side, man and woman, you get closer and closer to God. And that's really the way it works. The closer you each get to God, the closer you get to each other. So I want you to see that God actually designed you with this pulsating, passionate drive to be connected with another person spiritually, emotionally, physically. It is inside you. But we live in a broken, fallen world, and because of our gender differences, because of the baggage we have from the past, because we don't know the design, because we don't really know where we're going, because of our expectations and all this stuff, and deep, deep down core issue really is we're all selfish sinners, we find that it doesn't work. And so God, it's interesting, has actually created us to long for something that doesn't work unless... You come to him and you say, God, this doesn't work. God, can you help me? And then God can show you his design. And God can give you the power of his Holy Spirit. And God can help you become more like Jesus Christ. And God can put you as he wants to do, put you into biblical community in a small group of other believers, other people who are married, and they may be struggling with their marriages too. And as you talk together and as you pray for each other, God does things and you begin to be able to live according to God's design. Let me just say this to you. The greatest thing you can do for your marriage is to follow Jesus with all your heart. You know what's really sad? I just say this because I've been doing what I do for a long time now and I know. What's really sad is that Some of you heard what I just said, and you know exactly what I mean, but you're not going to do it. And I'm praying right now that you won't do that. Are you willing to follow Jesus with all your heart? Are you willing to give up some things in your life so you can know Jesus and out of that relationship with him so that you can draw closer and closer to your wife or your husband? The greatest thing you can do for your marriage is to follow Jesus with with all, with all your heart. And you see, now you have a design that helps you know how to get there. It's kind of an interesting thing. You know, I think sometimes God is just saying to us, if I could just get you to read the directions. I mean, he's given those directions to us. They're in his word. They're not hidden from us. They're not inaccessible. We can read them. We can learn them. And yeah, there, there's work involved, but it's, it's not supposed to be that hard. You really actually can have this. You don't have to live with that. And so God gives us a picture. God gives us a design that we can follow. Well, very quickly now, let's look at the third thing, the process, living out God's design. 
It's the last thing I want you to see, and there's three words I want to highlight in Genesis 2, 24, which we've already read a couple of times. We've been talking about the picture. This is the process. And so you need to follow this process with this picture in mind. If you don't have both, it doesn't work. There's just three words, and they really tell us so much. Number one, you got to leave. You got to leave family of origin. This means that each person, man and woman, must shift their loyalty away from their parents in all aspects of life, financially, emotionally, volitionally, in order to be free to connect to their mate. And there are some marriages that don't work. They don't get connected because when there's pressure, when there's hurt, somebody runs home to mom, somebody runs home to dad instead of going to their husband or wife. Here's my pastoral word for you today about this. Don't do it. Some of you, what happens in this area, the problem you have is you compare your spouse to a parent. Here's my pastoral word on that. Stop comparing your wife to your mom. Stop comparing your husband to your dad. Here's another one. Stop preferring your family of origin to your spouse. I've talked to many people over the years and at the core of their marital problems is that every time there is any kind of conflict, any kind of intersection between what the parents want and what the spouse wants or needs, somebody chooses the parents. Here's what you need to know about that. When you do that, you're sinning. You're disobeying God's command. You're violating God's design. Let me turn that one around because some of you are the in-laws and you're doing that from the other side of that And you need to stop that too because you're sinning too. You're violating God's design too. So help your married kids out by maybe leaving them alone sometimes. You can pray for them. You can give them wise counsel if they ask for it. But help them to leave. And if you don't want to do that, you have a problem. Second thing, be united to your spouse. And again, not only a response to our parents, but now to our spouse. And this word also is translated cleave. Um, here's a picture of that. Anybody remember the old epoxy glue? You know, you take two tubes, you squeeze it together, and then you stir it all up, and then you always leave part of your flesh attached to <laughs> something. So you, you mix two ingredients together, and they become what? A, a new ingredient. It's something different. This is, this is saying that your spouse must be more important than work, more important than kids, more important than money. It is saying that our relationship as husband and wife matters most. It is always the number one human priority. And if you are doing that, it means you make it your highest priority to work on your spiritual intimacy, work on your emotional intimacy, work on your physical intimacy. We pray, we plan, we act, we make our relationship matter most. Be united. And by the way, in case some of you are confused on this, let me just tell you, this is the very best thing you can do for your kids. If you give them a home where mom and dad love each other fiercely, freely, they, they're going to be so secure. They need that more than anything else in life. Finally, become one flesh. And this is our response to the world um, and its pressures. Um, Let me put it this way. The biggest detractors to a great marriage are a woman tilting towards making kids more important than her husband. This is where I step on the ladies' toes. Now I'm going to step on the guys. And a man making work or his hobbies more important than his wife. 
You see, all the days that you live, whatever season of life you're in, your spouse needs to know you're number one. And so wives, let me just ask you, are you hiding from your marriage issues or your personal issues behind your kids? Husbands, are you hiding from your marriage issues or your personal issues behind your work? You see, if you want a marriage makeover, you need to decide today that you'll do everything you can to follow God's design become one flesh. Now we're going to talk a lot more about these topics in the week ahead, the weeks that are ahead. I hope that you will be here for every message. I hope that you will get into a small group if you're not in one already that where we can talk about these things. But right now, before you bow your head, here's what I want to tell you. Look up here. I want to tell you this. Will you ask God to show you the one area he wants you to start with? I mean, honestly, There's a lot of things all of us could work on today. Let's just start with one. Can you think about that? Some of you need to write it down so you don't forget. But ask God to show you, and if you're not clear on what it is right now, when we pray, you can ask him and you can wait on him. And then when he shows you that, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Sometime this week, I want you to talk to your spouse and say, hey, can we get a cup of coffee and can we sit down together and talk? Now, I have one word of caution for you in this. Don't start with the worst problem you have. (laughs) Don't start with the issue that you know if you start talking about it, you are going to go to some bad places. Start with something that you can begin to work on. Allow God to give you wisdom. Pray about it. Begin to see some progress. And I think that you will be amazed if you do. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you and Lord, we, we confess that we need your help. Lord, I, I know uh, that in this room right now, there is a lot of pain. And some of us are struggling desperately in our marriage. Lord, there are probably some of us here who are trying to figure a way out. Lord, I ask for your grace. I ask for your goodness just to be poured out. I ask that you would just give, Lord, whatever is needed so that we can turn to you and we can cry out to you and we can depend on you to make changes in our lives, to show us what we need to do. Lord, I pray that you would make over the marriages that are in this room, that in whatever ways our marriages need to change. We would be open and we would be willing and we would have the courage to be obedient and to begin to walk into areas of our lives that are maybe frightening. But Lord, we know you are with us. We know that you love us. We know that you have our best interests, our good in your heart. And so we can trust you. So Lord, as your people, we enter on this journey together and we ask that your spirit will be strong in our midst together. We ask that your word will be powerful and clear in our midst together, Lord, in these weeks that are ahead of us. We pray all of these things, Father, every single one of these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, asking that you would show his glory and his goodness and his beauty to us. We ask these things, Father, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people together say,